0: it is such a pleasure to be back here at pitts baptist church i feel so at home i know so many of you your pastor is a a long time dear friend i've known him probably longer than i've known any of you here but uh, many of us have worked together before you've uh, been so gracious to ask me in the past to come and share and um I'm just honored to be here. I love to be here. I feel right at home. I love your staff and your your folks, your people here. So thank you again for the privilege of being here. And you are so wise to encourage and to give to your pastor this time away. It's a refreshing thing for a pastor. I've been there, done that. I understand it. After more than 35 years of pastoral ministry... And uh, having only one time in there, an opportunity to take a sabbatical, as your Pastor Scott is doing right now, I understand the value of that, and I appreciate it so very, very much that you are encouraging your pastor in that way. It's great to work together in the state. I'm here to report to you because I work for you. You see, the Biblical Recorder is your news agency here in North Carolina. And we have a board of directors that one of your members, Christina Brown, served on up until last year. She rotated off, and a number of you have worked and supported us in other ways. But I report to you because I work for you. Our, our board is accountable to you, the North Carolina uh, Baptist Churches. And let me just give you a couple of comments, and we're going to open God's Word. A couple of comments about the biblical recorder. If you're not familiar with who we are. The biblical recorder has been around since 1833 as a printed newspaper and if you take it you saw that recently I did an editorial that talked about that history and and in fact you can pick up a copy uh, free in the foyer of that edition and read about the advantage that they saw in creating a newspaper and the fact that it still has advantages today. Now, I know that um, a lot of people prefer digital, so we have uh, really one of the most popular Baptist news websites in the world. Our our traffic on the website has increased more than 600% in the last three years to where right now we get a little more than, well, we've averaged since January a little more than 32,000 unique visitors a day. 32,000 a day. If you know anything about web traffic, that is phenomenal. And a lot of people depend on the biblical recorder uh, for news and information. And we want you to uh, get it. We want you to have it. Because there is an advantage. And I just need to ask, do you have that advantage? You see, there's an, an advantage that comes not only to you personally, but to your pastor. You see, I, I'd like to help pastors out as much as they can because a pastor's job is overwhelming, huge. Your staff joins in that as well, huge responsibilities. And one of the difficulties pastors and church staff have is trying to track where people are in the world today because when Sunday morning starts and you come in here, every one of you have come from a certain worldview, a certain sort of a, a bubble, a perspective that each of us has. Each of us lives in a world of our own. And the pastor doesn't understand. He doesn't always know what your world is because he doesn't know everything about you. And he opens God's Word and tries to communicate God's Word to you. But you know what would help him a lot? If everybody had a sort of a level playing field of getting their news and information from a biblical worldview rather than a distorted, non-biblical, secular worldview. You see, the biblical recorder's goal is to give you news and information from a biblical worldview. A lot of it's in print, but even more of it is on our website. And you will help yourself. You will have an advantage in your perspective as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, in your role as a member of Pitts Baptist Church, and in your helping your pastor as he could just open the word and know that you get it because you have been taking in the diet of news news and information this week that helps you to be a stronger disciple. And instead of so many pastors feel like, yeah, you know you take a couple of steps forward preaching the word and then the news and information world around us uh, attacks that and undermines it and the next week the pastor feels like well I we gotta go back and pick up again let's stay on the same page let's get our news and information from a biblical worldview and that's what we do and so pick up a free copy of the print go to our website free and there's one other thing i want you to have free I want you to sign up for our weekly e-newsletter. There's a clipboard on the table out there where you can sign up for that. There's no gimmick, no glitch, no catch. Um, We don't sell your email addresses. We don't uh, communicate them, use them in any other way. So you just sign up, and that's as far as it goes. If you want to uh, unsign, if you want to unsubscribe off of that list, you can do that. But every Wednesday morning, you will get... A sort of a summary of what's big in this week's news. It'll come to your inbox email, and you can see it. And uh, it might be that a couple of those items you aren't interested in, but a couple of them you're, you're like, "Whoa! I'm glad I saw that." Let me re- let me read that one. So we're here to help you. That's what we do: help you get the worldview from God's Word, a biblical worldview, with news and information that's flowing so fast so quickly around the world today. Pick up some free copies out there. If you would like to subscribe to the print, uh, there is a three-month trial card you can sign on the table out there as well. Now, I recognize when I come to Pitts Baptist Church that I'm in a church that has a worldview that's, that's huge because your church is a team player. You're a team player with Christians and Baptists, you're you're heavily involved in what's going on in your local region, in the state, in the nation, in the world, through your giving, through your involvement and your participation at so many levels. But I also recognize that it's hard for any of us to keep up with the changes that are going on around the world because it's happening so fast. A lot of you look at the world where you are right now and you see that a lot of new people who don't look like you have moved into your neighborhoods and your communities. On the screen is a map that will be hard for you to to capture the full image of what all this is about, but at least you'll get the general picture. It shows the patterns of migration, of movement, that we've seen in the world in the last couple of years where the top 10 destinations for people to move around the world are, are listed here. And the very top one of those is, as you might expect, the United States. Because we have a lot of advantages. We have a lot of freedoms, a lot of opportunity. Face it, folks. God has blessed our country. God has been more than merciful and graceful and generous to our country. And a lot of people around the world would like to get in on that. And so uh, of those top ten destinations, they're saying, um, and this is a couple of years old right now, by the way, (coughs) but about 42.8 million in these last few years have moved from other countries to the United States. The map does not show all of the migration patterns, but the largest ones. Because actually, if all of the patterns were listed, you would have lines going from every country in the world to the United States. But the largest migration patterns are from Asia, the Philippines, India, and Mexico. But people are moving to other parts of the world as well. Russia is the second largest destination. The third is Germany, a small country, and yet the third largest pattern of movement from people around the world. All that movement comes for a lot of different reasons. Sometimes it's economic. Sometimes it's educational. There are opportunities. Uh, Sometimes uh, it comes from war, from famine, from crisis. Uh, We're not here to evaluate all of that. But I'm here to say today that I want to talk to you about all of us, these people who are coming from other countries, we who know the Lord Jesus Christ, and I want to talk about the subject of the God that we know. The title of the message is The Known God. And I want to share with you today from God's Word in just a few minutes about this this God that we know. Let me tell you about the book of Acts before we read the specific verse of Scripture, but you can be getting into the book of Acts and look at Acts chapter 17. We're going to look at the whole chapter, Now we don't have time to go into great detail at the whole chapter, but here's what you're going to find. You're going to see that the book of Acts is a part of um, the ministry of the New Testament church. In fact, real honestly, we're still living in the book of Acts today. Have you thought about that? The book of Acts starts with the resurrection and the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ with his assignment in Acts 1-8 to take the gospel to all the world. And it starts the chronicling of those missionary efforts of the early church. Much of it is telling about Paul's missionary efforts. And we still live in the latter chapters of the book of Acts, although it's not being written anymore. The Scripture's closed, it's written. But we're living out beyond those days how the gospel is advancing across the world. And it's been my observation as one who has traveled many, many places in the world that God has a plan of getting his word into countries because he's a God of love and he's a God of grace and mercy. He has a plan. He wants very much for other people to know who he is. In the book of Acts, you're going to see Paul in the middle of what we call his second missionary journey. There were several missionary journeys that are recorded in the book of Acts. And if your Bible has uh, titles and headlines, you'll see that back in the 15th and 16th chapters of the book of Acts, it starts talking about some of those missionary journeys and the the headlines and the titles of those but you're going to see that in the 17th chapter paul is now coming uh, to a part of europe where he's he's moving out of asia heading in toward europe i've crossed that bosphorus strait that is the line uh, in uh, istanbul i've crossed it many times on that huge river And it's a line that separates Asia from Europe. And Paul crossed that in the chapter before. And the first converts in Europe have come. And now he's moving in toward the area of Greece. And there are three particular churches you're going to see in this book, in this chapter. He approaches the city of Thessalonica. Today, if you were to go there, it's pronounced Thessaloniki. We sent one of our biblical recorder staff to the shores of Thessaloniki two years ago to report the immigration and migration work that's going on in that area. A lot of refugees, but it's now called modern day Thessaloniki, but it was Thessalonica as we see it in the scripture. And then we're going to see what happened there. And then Paul moved about 40 or 50 miles down the road to Berea and some patterns of ministry and. Outreach happened there. Then I want you to pay attention to what these patterns are because it's what we're involved in today as well. And finally, we get to the text that is more popularly read where Paul, toward the end of, uh, well, the middle and the rest of that 17th chapter, gets into Athens and he's on Mars Hill and he comes across all different kinds of people. And in verse 22, just so we will have a text to head toward here, in verse 22, it says this. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus. It's a, a, an area where they had an open forum for discussion. And he said to them, men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. Interesting how Paul just took an offensive posture. He didn't get defensive and say, you guys are just so off base. You're all wrong. He just said, hmm, let's go about this in this way. I notice you guys are very religious. He's saying you got a lot of religion going on around you. But in that next verse, he says, for as I was passing through, While I was just passing through, I was looking, I was examining at all of your many objects of worship. They had idols, they had statues, they had all kinds of gods and goddesses. And he said, I've seen all of those. And one of them even had an inscription on it that said, to the unknown God. He said, therefore, what you proclaim in ignorance, what you worship, rather, in ignorance... This unknown God that you you figure, well, there's got to be one more out there that we're not worshiping. He said, I'm going to proclaim him. I'm going to explain him and show him who, uh, show you who he is. All let right, right, let's, uh, let's back up a little bit and kind of run through this chapter. Obviously, it's going to be a quick jog through this, but there's some patterns you, you and I need to see today if we're going to be effective in reaching our community and the people who have moved from all over the world right here into the region where you live around uh, Mecklenburg and Cabarrus and surrounding counties, so all over North Carolina. I get the privilege of preaching in churches all over the state. Last week I was up in Salisbury. Next week I'll be up in North Raleigh in Zebulun and Zebulon and. I go in large churches and small churches, and I just notice the same thing. That everywhere I go, there are people who are looking for a God to worship and a God to have a relationship with. People want to know, is there a true and living God? Well, Paul sort of deals with that. Look at verse 1 of that 17th chapter. It, it simply gives a historical movement, an account here, and says that as Paul and his missionary team uh, traveled through uh, Amphipolis and Apollonia. Now, these were two small communities. It says they, they went through there, but they didn't, they didn't stop. And uh, as was their custom, um, he said he, he there was a synagogue of the Jews, and according to Paul's custom, he went to them for three Sabbaths and reasoned with them. For three Sabbaths. You, you get that? Sabbaths don't go one day, two day, three day. They go one week, two week, three week, right? Three Sabbaths is three different Saturdays. So Paul's here at least three weeks, and he's sitting down, and these people are listening to him. and And here's here's what happens i want you to see this on the screen he said uh first of all there was a i want you to see there was a method there was a method to this his method where he went was to go to the synagogue when you find someone who doesn't know god what's your strategy what's your method what are you going to do with this well the first thing you do is you try to connect with them. And Paul went to the synagogue. And that's an interesting thing. You say, well, how is it that a Christian would get to go to a Jewish synagogue? Don't forget, Paul was a trained rabbi. He had previously, before he came to know Christ, had hated, intimidated, and persecuted Christians. But now, he had come to Christ, and he's proclaiming the gospel message, and he goes straight to the synagogue. Then he he has a message. Did you see what his message is? It says he reasoned with them from the scriptures. And specifically, it talks about explaining and giving evidence that Christ had suffered and, and he had to suffer and to rise from the dead. So Paul says, you're Jews. He says to the synagogue people, you're Jews. Let's open up the Old Testament and let me show you This Jesus who has changed my life, let me show you where he is in your Bible. And he explained Jesus in the Old Testament. The prophecies of Isaiah is probably where he went. We don't know exactly, but those would be the logical places to go. And he probably even from the time of creation would have pointed out how in creation there was the Trinity, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and he explained all of that. So his message was the scripture, and specifically Jesus. And then it says, uh, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And then it says, some were persuaded and joined, Paul and Silas, along with a great multitude of God-fearing Greeks and a number of leading women. Isn't that interesting that women were particularly mentioned here to say, hey, you need to know that These are not just the men. The women were in on this. The Scripture always underscores the important role of women in the proclamation of the gospel and the spread of the gospel. So what was the result? Well, some believed and some didn't. Because then what happened after that, it says a number of the Jews uh, took along them some very wicked men into the marketplace and they basically stirred up trouble and uh, they, they said, we've got to get rid of these uh, Jews who now follow Jesus. Not, not all the Jews believe that, by the way. This is not a negative picture of all Jews. This is a small group, just like in a Baptist church, a small group could very negatively represent the large congregation. And this small group of Jews very negatively represented the whole Jewish people. And they stirred up trouble... And they went into this guy named Jason's home and made Jason a scapegoat. I'm sorry, Jason, but you got in trouble on that one. Just because we, we don't know. <clears throat> it could be that Jason had invited Paul and his team into his home. Um, not that we don't even know what Jason did beyond that. But they found a scapegoat and they, they were just railing on Jason. They were intimidating him and harassing him and finally they let Jason go uh, because Paul had escaped. So this is what happened in Thessalonica. They Paul and his team went to a synagogue and their message was clear, it was from scripture and it was Jesus. And the result was some believed and some opposed. Look what happened in Berea. They go to the next place. And immediately, they, they, uh, they get into Berea. And by the way, the Bible says they sort of uh, slipped at night. This is only about 40 miles down the road, 40, 50 miles down the road. At nighttime, Paul moved over to another mission field. And he gets there, <clears throat> goes into the synagogue of the Jews. And it says, interestingly, in verse 11, now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica. That's an interesting thing. A lot of uh, you have picked up on that verse before and indicated. Now, these Bereans, they were different. They were fair. They were understanding. They were receptive. They weren't necessarily gullible. But they said, hmm, we we need to be fair to these people and see if their message is true. And so they listened. And what happened there? Well, it says that he went to the synagogue, then more noble-minded people received the word with great, great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily. They weren't examining the scriptures just on the Sabbath days that they were there, but they examined them daily. And so what did he do? His, his method, go to the synagogue again. By the way, the first two cities that are mentioned in the first verse of the 17th chapter were small towns. They didn't have a synagogue. And so Paul and Silas didn't stay around there. Let me just pause and say, many of you come out of the generation that I grew up in. When I was young in ministry, I remember we were talking about how we need to send more people to the remote parts of the world. And when you think of the early missionaries, when you think of Livingston and Carey and Lottie Moon, where did they go? They went to remote Africa, to remote India, to remote China, to remote small tribal places. Paul said, No, 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 we need to look at the big cities. The big cities. And more recently, our international mission board has shifted their entire strategy from just going to the small remote regions. We still do that. But we need to understand, we need to go where the people are. Paul had that vision of a mission strategy from the beginning. Go to the synagogue where the people are. And did you know right now I have a, a whole article with me about the big cities of the world? And the largest city in the world is Tokyo which is one of the most unevangelized cities in the world. There there are more and more cities in the world that are getting above, above 10 million. New, New York is like number 10 in the world in the largest cities and it's it's above 10 million. But more and more people are moving to the cities. Did you know that right now 54% of the world's population lives in urban areas? And that's expected to be more like 65% of the next 10 or 15 years. People are moving to the cities. You live in a large urban area. You live in a mission field. You, if you know Jesus as your Savior, are a missionary. Some people think a missionary, well, that's our pastor and and our staff. We pay them to do that. Or the people we send overseas. Let me, let me help you define a missionary. Wherever there's sin, the closest Christian to it is a missionary. Get that? It's that simple. Wherever there's sin, there's going to be brokenness. There's going to be lives that are hurting, lives that are hungry, people seeking God. Wherever there's sin, the closest Christian to that is a missionary if you're a christian and you see sin anywhere in the world brokenness and hurt and lostness and people crying out for god you ladies and gentlemen are missionaries and that's what we've got to look at in the world today but in athens or or rather in uh, berea paul has this strategy he went to where the people are the synagogue what was his message The Bible does not give a detail as it did in Thessalonica, but it's just assumed that it's the same thing. Otherwise, he would would have described it differently. It's the same thing, Jesus and Scripture. Our message, ladies and gentlemen, is the same. It's Scripture and it's Jesus. And what's the result in Berea? Very similar again. It says, many therefore believed with all the... Prominent women and men. It didn't say men and women, by the way. It listed the women first. Women and men. But when the Jews of Thessalonica found out, now the Jews, not in Berea, but back in Thessalonica, got a text saying, did you hear what Paul's doing? No, they didn't get a text, did they? (laughs) It's an amazing thing, though, how talk sometimes moves faster than our electronic medium 50 miles down the road they got word that Paul has gone to another city and they're going to try to stir up trouble over there and so those Jews sent some guys over and stirred up trouble agitating and some believed but some didn't and so Paul moved on as far as Athens which is hundreds of miles south he had to take go go to the sea and take the boat down for that Now, before we review Athens, and again, it's just a review of all of this, I want you to to think about something. How many people, as you look at these things on the screen and see now, it's the same thing. Wherever Paul went, he went to where the people are, wherever he could get a connection. He stayed in the scripture, and he talked about the only one Jesus who could forgive of our sins, the living Savior. And go, go back to the, the other one. Let's, let's go back. Let me just summarize, if you don't mind. Yeah, stay on Berea for a minute. He stuck with the Scripture, stuck with Jesus, and there were always believers, and there were always people who didn't believe and who fought against it. Now, before we look at Athens, let me help you connect with something here. You don't have to raise your hand because this is probably the majority of you in this room. Have you ever been in a conversation with someone about something going on in the world today? It might have been any one of the cultural issues, political issues, economic issues that's going on. And here's what your friend who doesn't know the Lord says to you. My Jesus wouldn't do that. The Jesus I believe in wouldn't do that. You ever had that kind of conversation? They say, oh, well, I think Jesus is a good person, but I don't believe in that kind of Jesus. That should cause us to really perk up. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You mean we get to all design our own Jesus? Do we? Do, we, do, do people in the world think Do people really believe that every one of us get to sit around and think of what do I want Jesus to be? And we make him up. We'll extract a verse or two of Scripture that we think is more important, but we eliminate most of the Scripture and sort of design our own Jesus, and people will say, oh, well, the Jesus I believe in, he's just all love, he loves everybody. Is that all Jesus is? <laughs> is that the full picture from the Bible of who Jesus is? Paul kept talking about Scripture and Jesus. He went further with this when he got to Athens. What happened to Athens? He got to Athens, and in verse 17, he, well, verse 16, he says he saw a, um, a whole community filled with idols. By the way, there's a historical account of a man... Who was a historian himself he was not necessarily writing from a christian perspective but he went to athens several years it's probably been about 50 or 60 years ago and uh, he wanted to see he had heard about paul's visit there and he wanted to see what he saw so he went and he wrote something like a five volume piece about what he saw at athens it's interesting to me paul said it in one phrase a city full of idols that's it (laughs) I mean, you can write five volumes about Athens if you want to, and there's a lot of interesting stuff there. But all Paul saw was people missed God. They were looking for God in idols, and they missed God. Going back, when God said, I've got something I want you to write down the first time ever, first time ever in history, God said, write this down. He was talking to Moses, and the first words out of his mouth was what? What? I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There are no other gods. Don't have any other gods before me. I am God. He's gone a long way from that time to a city full of idols representing many different kinds of gods and people not knowing what they're looking for. But Paul goes to the synagogue. But he also goes to the marketplace. So his method here in Athens is... Go to the synagogue, but then he left and went to the marketplace, the scripture says. And there, there were Epicureans, there were Stoics, people who believed all kinds of different philosophies. But then he stuck to the message. We could, your pastor will uh, flesh this out a whole lot more in some future sermon, or probably has in the past. But look at the outline of what Paul's message was as he spoke to these people. He said, first of all, there was a God, there is a God who created us. He gave a sermon because these people said, we'd like to hear what your whole message is. And he says, okay, the God that is the unknown God that you just are worshiping so many, but you can't figure out who he is. Let me tell you who he is. Number one, he's the God of creation. He made us. Can we back up and say, we didn't make him. No one in this room gets to create Jesus. Jesus jesus created you no one in this room gets to create god god created you and it's very common for man to get things backwards often and the whole generation around us now is reversing everything many of you know who josh mcdowell is i was with josh mcdowell a couple of months ago here in north carolina and if you get the biblical recorder you saw a story that i wrote about that where josh mcdowell said the biggest problem we have in the world today is that so many of the younger generation no longer see truth as something that is static, that is given, that is not moving, but instead, truth is fluid, he said. People see truth as constantly moving. A lady was in my office this week who said, My teenagers come to me and say, Look, we can't say something to our friends that will offend them, even if it's true. You see, there's a, there's a, a, a point at which people kind of say, truth is fluid, and, and we just make it up as we go along. But the Bible says it is not fluid. God is the God of creation. He created you, not the other way around. The second thing he said was, this God is a God of incarnation. You read all the text, we don't have time to read it all, but he he talks about how God came down to this earth because man has been trying to reach out and figure out, who is this God? God said, I'll come and visit you and explain myself to you. And he sent Jesus, that was his mission. To come down to this earth, that was the first part of his mission. To come down to this earth and show you what God's like, who God is, how God works. But the greater part of his mission was to die on the cross for your sins which shows you exactly what God is like. He's a God of grace and a God of mercy and a God of love and of forgiveness and compassion to anyone who reaches out to his standards and stop trying to invent him as you go along. Stop trying to design him as you go along. Stop trying to create him. And the third thing he said was, he's a God of the resurrection. He's a God of a resurrection that this Jesus died on the cross. He's alive. And it was at that point that all the intellectuals said, wait a minute, death is death. And it doesn't go beyond that. Paul said, yes, it does. I was an eyewitness to the resurrected Christ. Others, and he explained the resurrection. And folks, that's our message today. As much as the world will, some of them believe and some of them will reject and oppose and give a hard time. uh, Maybe want to do like they did to Jason and intimidate you or run you out of town. The result is always going to be the same. Some are going to believe and some are not. Don't get wrapped up in those who do not listen, but keep proclaiming the message of who Jesus Christ is and what he's done and the fact that he died on the cross for our sins. So I just want to ask you in closing, what is your life's message? Paul had a message everywhere he went. And, and the results of all of our lives is going to be the same. Some people are going to listen and believe, and some people are going to just be skeptics. Uh, we could talk all day about that, but time's up. But what is your life message? And if you could take this chapter and outline it for yourself, what would it look like? Are, are you finding where people are and encouraging them to listen to what the scripture has to say about who Jesus is? In a day where things are just so fluid in the way of what people want to define there's some things you can't redefine you know i'd have a hard time if my banker started redefining truth you know some of the logic people use today goes like this the banker i go to the banker and i say hey wait a minute there's a mistake on my account i deposited one thousand dollars and it says 100 somebody made a mistake he said no actually um it says one with three zeros after it. And Mr. Bloom, you realize a zero is nothing, correct? Well, sure, zero is nothing. So we removed one of those because it's nothing. And it's just a hundred now. What? That's the logic a lot of people have about scripture. They wanna confuse you. I want my thousand dollars. I don't wanna lose 900 over that just because a banker is trying to reinvent truth One and one is always going to be two. Two and two is going to be four. And stop reinventing. I don't know, by the way, of a banker who does that. But every doctor depends on fact, on truth. Law depends on fact and truth. Banking, everything. And life depends on it as well. Are you proclaiming the Lord Jesus Christ where you go? This is a message. You know, I've never preached quite like this Uh, context i usually like to take one verse and just dig into it but god put this on my heart to say we need to talk we need to search the scripture and search our hearts about what our life message is and are we proclaiming the true and living god the known god not the one people are trying to create by their own design and figure it out but the one who's already known in the bible that god's given to us and we have handy freely ready to read Let me ask you to stand with me and bow your heads in a moment of prayer. Could we do that? Stand with me and bow your heads and our music team gets in place. Thank you for giving me just a couple of extra minutes here today. But I hope that what I have shared with you helps strengthen the vision and the mission of the church and your pastor and staff's ministry here. But ultimately that God gets glory and lives being changed because... You stood firm for the truth of God's Word. This morning, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you need to understand that He is the God of creation who came down to this earth for you and who died on the cross for you. And one of the church staff is going to be down here at the front to help you if you would like to step out and ask Kevin to pray with you or share with him what's on your heart. Other needs, you come and share those as well in this time of decision. Father, I pray that you would lead us to taking the steps now that please you, that fulfill our life's mission, the purpose for which you saved us and called us, the purpose for which we remain on this earth, alive and well, still breathing right now. You have a design, and we pray we would be obedient to that. In Jesus' name we pray.